Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with y'all. My name's Luke Hatfield, and uh, my mom and dad have been going here for uh, a long time. Uh, So I grew up in this church. Uh, My Dad is Tim Hatfield and my mom is Laura Hatfield. And so dad is on the retreat. Mom came last night, so I won't have any family here this morning. Um, but uh, my, my brother uh, and his family also go here and I have an aunt and uncle who go here. So um, this, this church has meant so much to me and to my family over the years. And so it really is a joy to get to be here um, with you. So yeah, we started coming here when I think I was about in middle school. And so Uh, Pastor Sid has had a huge influence in my life through hearing him faithfully preach God's word Sunday in and Sunday out. And uh, he was actually one of the main reasons that I ended up going to Dallas Theological Seminary when I was going for uh, ministry training. Um, So I went to uh, Concordia University for my undergrad just up the road in Mequon. So I went here to church all through my college years as well uh, and got to be involved in teaching high school Sunday school class and playing on the worship team. And so there's just been so many people from this church that have their fingerprints on my life. And uh, so it's really fun to get to be back. And I consider it an honor that uh, Pastor Sid trusts me to preach even when he's not here to make sure that I'm, you know, saying things right. Um, so um, just uh, a little bit about my ministry history. After uh, graduating from Concordia, then I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and then I was a youth pastor for six years up in Medford, Wisconsin at First Baptist Church there. And then for the last seven years, I have been doing college ministry with an organization called His House Christian Fellowship, which is just an organization local to Wisconsin. We have missionaries at four different campuses. Uh, started at UW Oshkosh, then uh, UW Madison, Ripon College, which is where I work, and then Lawrence University in Appleton. And uh, so it's, it's such a great ministry, and uh, I've been doing that for seven years. And so uh, something that I've, I've never done before in ministry, but I'm doing, doing this year, is our ministry requires that uh, after seven years you take a sabbatical. And so I've been off this semester uh, sabbaticaling, <laughs> and so it's been interesting. I... I wasn't really that excited because I love what I get to do so much, um, but God convicted me through both my ministry requiring it, but also by speaking to my heart that this was a gift I needed to make use of, and so I've been trying to do that, um, so it's good to be here um, with you. I do want to mention I do have a table outside um, in the uh, foyer where if you want to sign up for our monthly email newsletters just to get updates on what's going on in our ministry and so you can join us, partner with us through your prayers, uh, we would love to, to add you to that list. So that's right out there, right outside the foyer. Uh, well, let me, uh, let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into what God has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that as we sang, you are a good, good Father that that is who you are, and that we can know who we are through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of your Spirit, that we get to be your children. What an awesome privilege. And God, as we dig into your word now, I pray that your Spirit would work. Thank you so much that your word does not return void that it always accomplishes the purposes for which you send it out. So God, please do that good work in us. 
God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week was Easter, and Pastor Seth talked about hope that's living, Jesus Christ. Specifically, he talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus from John 19 to 20, what it means for us now from 1 Corinthians 15, and what it means for all eternity from Revelation 20 to 21. He pointed out that there's a lot of people in this world, in your community, in your lives, who have a beating heart, but are not really living. When I listened to the sermon, that sentence kind of arrested me. And he asked, do you believe? And he reminded all of us that we can't have life without believing in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, the Sunday after Easter, I want to ask two questions. First, why not? And second, what now? So you can see the uh, passages I'm going to be in this morning. So those are just for your reference as we, uh, as we go through the sermon today. So that'll just be up there all morning. So I'll trust you to write them down in the appropriate spots. Um, but first, if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus, I, I would just like to ask you, why not? What is keeping you from trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to explore it. Talk to someone about it. I would love to talk more with you. So would the person you came here with today, or really anyone here. There's nothing more important for your life, both now and forever, than for you to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You can only have true, eternal, abundant life by faith in Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So this morning, I want to give you three good reasons that lead to trusting in Jesus to help answer that question, why not? So first, it's something we can all see. And then there's something we can all feel, and there's something that we can all know. So first, we can all see what has been made. We can all see the world that we live in. My mother-in-law was recently in Green Bay, and uh, she found this rock. And hopefully you can kind of see, it's, it's painted on both sides with not typical rock colors. <laughs> and it says on here, Cedar Grove Rocks. Well, I, I appreciate this rock for several reasons. Uh, first of all, it's colorful. Second, it complements my hometown. I'm from, I grew up in Cedar Grove. And it uses a pun. You could say that pun really rocks. You might also say that it's hard to beat. And I got one more. Uh, it's a stone-cold killer of a pun. Okay, okay all right, all right, I digress. Uh, but you know what never crossed my mind or my mother-in-law's mind about this rock? We never thought, wow, it's so amazing that this rock just happened to have these colors and it happened to have these lines on it that 
happened to spell out Cedar Grove Rocks. It's amazing that it just happened that way. We knew someone painted this rock, probably someone from Cedar Grove, and wrote Cedar Grove Rocks on it and put it there. Right? We, we never thought this rock just happened by accident. We knew it was the result of an intelligent, well, you might argue that, but I would say intelligent mind. Right? And when we look at creation, when we look at the world we live in, we're all seeing the same things. We're seeing things that were made by an intelligent mind that values beauty and truth and goodness and order. We couldn't even practice science if this universe were not created with order. And so we can all see what has been made. Creation and your very existence cry out that there is a God. Now the second reason that leads to trusting in Jesus is something we can all feel. We can all feel goodness and badness and justice. These are all things we can feel. We see and feel badness in our world. Uh, there was just a, another synagogue shooting that I was reading about in the news. I mean, it's all over our world. Death and crime and hunger and abuse and neglect. And we see badness not just out there, but in ourselves. Regardless of what you believe, if you're anything like me, you don't even live up to your own standards all the time. Much less societies or gods. And the Bible calls the badness that we see around us and the badness in ourselves sin. But we also feel and see goodness in this world. We, we see goodness in ourselves and in our world. We see people helping other people. We feel love for other people and we feel loved by other people. We feel the miracle of a newborn baby. We, uh, my, my brother and I just took my mom out last night for Mother's Day and at the restaurant there was this six-week-old little guy named Colt and we we're all like, wow, that is a newborn. And you know, even when he's crying, he's cute. You know? and, and it's amazing, the wonder of that newborn. And then the innocence of a small child or the beauty of a sunset or the power of a thunderstorm or the grandeur of mountains or oceans. We see and feel goodness in this world. And finally, we see and feel justice. We all have kind of this innate desire for fairness. One of the earliest ideas we develop, and those of you who are parents know this, what do your kids say? It's not fair. <laughs> right? We have this idea of fair. We sense that when we or other people are being wronged, there needs to be justice. Where do you think these feelings of goodness and badness and justice come from? The Bible tells us that they come from God. We know what good is, but we know we do evil, and we also know that evil deserves to be punished. The Bible puts it like this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So we know the standard, and we know we fall short. And in Romans 2.3, we're asked this rhetorical question. Do you suppose you who judge those who do bad things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is no. We know that sin deserves to be punished. So the first two reasons that lead to trusting in Jesus are, one, we can all see what's been made. And two, we can all feel goodness and badness and justice. And the third and final reason I want to talk about this morning that leads to trusting in Jesus, although there's many more we could talk about, is that we can all know what Jesus did. The facts that Jesus of Nazareth lived, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead in the first century A.D., are beyond historical dispute in the same way that the fact that the earth is round is beyond scientific dispute. In other words, only crazy people say it's not so. So briefly, I just want to give you three reasons why we can know those facts about Jesus. One, historical witness and records. First, the Bible, which has literally hundreds of prophecies that were verifiably written hundreds of years before Jesus, he fulfilled. Plus, there's eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that can be reliably dated as written in the first century A.D., only 20 to 70 years after he died, by people who actually saw him or talked with people who did. So when... When the New Testament, especially the Gospels, were first written, people could have gone and asked people who saw Jesus, did this really happen? <laughs> and and if, it, if it was not true, they wouldn't have kept copying. They wouldn't have preserved those manuscripts. But there are also other historical witnesses to Jesus. He's mentioned by Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, who wrote in about 93 A.D., And then he's also mentioned by the Roman senator and historian Tacitus, who wrote in about 116 AD. So these are guys that aren't Christians, but who wrote mentioning Jesus in their histories. And then further, only the resurrection accounts for three other historical facts that are well accepted by historians. The empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, and the rise of Christianity in the church after his resurrection. Those three facts, the empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, and the rise of early Christianity, they can't be accounted for by anything except the resurrection. So that's just, that's just the first reason why we can know what Jesus did. The second reason is history itself. History itself is dated around the person of Jesus. B.C. means before Christ. A.D. does not mean after death. It means Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of our Lord. And I know they've tried to take Jesus out of it by introducing the common era and before common era. The problem is it still centers around Jesus. They can't get Jesus out of it. So every time you write a check... You're writing that many years in the year of our Lord. All of history centers 
around Jesus Christ. And third, finally, the fact that Jesus' disciples were all persecuted and nearly all of them died for their belief in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is compelling evidence for the authenticity of their claims. People don't die if they're making up a lie. They don't die for that lie. In fact, we see the exact opposite. People will lie to get out of all sorts of things, things that are much lesser punishments than death even. We, we see that even, even in the news as we hear people you know, committing perjury and all sorts of things to try to get out of punishment. People will lie to get out of punishment. They don't lie all the way to death. And so the fact that the disciples died for this message is compelling evidence that it is real. So I ask again, if you are here today and you're not trusting in Jesus as your Savior, why not? What's keeping you from trusting in Jesus? And whether you are not trusting Jesus or you just started trusting him or you have been trusting and following him for decades, our second question this morning will show you one of the many ways that we get to carry out the purpose for which we were made. Now, how can I say the purpose or the reason we exist? Because everything in this universe, all matter, energy, all life, including every person, exists for one ultimate purpose, to glorify God. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. They just, they just keep pouring it out, pouring it out, telling us that there is a God who's worthy of glory. In 1 Chronicles 29.11, King David, who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, he, he had just received all these generous offerings for the building, the future construction of the temple, and he prays, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And then in Romans 11.36, Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known, Rights of God, for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now that's just the tip of the iceberg, by the way, Open Door. So if you, if you want a, a cool study, go to BibleGateway.com and type in glory in the search bar. 338 times some form of the word glory appears in the ESV. And read through those verses. Everything exists for God's glory. Our purpose is to glorify God. And I know those words glory and glorify, they sound super churchy sometimes. But really, to glorify God simply means to enjoy, to show, and to tell how great God is. So to glorify God means to enjoy, to show, and to tell how great. God is. If you are not a Christian, you probably don't enjoy how great God is. In fact, you you might resent it or you might try to deny it. And you probably won't tell it then either. But 
all of us by our very existence show how great God is. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your body is an incredible scientific wonder. God pours out his grace on all of us every moment we're alive by giving us our next breath, by holding us together, the Bible says. And he loves you. And he has done everything needed for you to have a relationship with him by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, all people glorify God, either willingly or unwillingly. The Bible is clear that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Again, willingly or unwillingly. Some will do it for their everlasting joy and some will do it to their everlasting terror. Do you want to live your purpose on purpose? Then please start your relationship with God today by trusting in Jesus Christ. Don't just believe that it happened. Believe that he died for you. Trust in him as your savior. I love Galatians 2.20. That's, this is a bonus one. <laughs> that that it, it personalizes the gospel. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And check this out. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how much Jesus loved every single person. That he would do that for you and for me. But after trusting him, after Easter, after the resurrection, what now? That's the second question I want to ask and and try to answer today. And so if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning. Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. The book of Acts is right after the four Gospels in the New Testament, and it is, in fact, volume 2 of the Gospel of Luke. And it's written by the same author, Luke, who was a physician and traveling companion of the Apostle Paul's. So the Gospel of Luke was written like the other Gospels to tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the book of Acts was written to tell the story of how the church began. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood behind them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I love this passage for so many reasons. First, I love the disciples. (laughs) I love that God did not try to make the disciples look smart. (laughs) Because there's so many times in my own life that I am slow to understand and slow to believe what God says. Look at verses 3 to 6 again, right? So Jesus has been presenting himself to them alive with many convincing proofs. He's been speaking to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And then he says, wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you. You guys got to just wait. But then in verse 6, they're like, so are you going to take over now? They're like, yeah, down with Rome. (laughs) Like, yeah, you're going to overthrow and Israel's going to rule again. I just, I feel like maybe there was kind of a long sigh between verses 6 and (laughs) 7. Like Jesus just, (sighs) come on guys. Like how long has he been with them? Three years and now an extra 40 days after he rose again from the dead. And was his kingdom ever of this world? No. And he's been teaching and teaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, and they're still like, yeah, you're going to take over now. Like, no, that's Jesus did not come to deliver Israel from the Romans. He came to do something way more important. He came to deliver the world, all of us, from our sins. Because that's what we most needed. And I love how Jesus responds to their questions. He's such a master teacher. He answers, sort of, (laughs) but ultimately he redirects them to where their focus should be. Look at verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know. So before we find out the answer to what now, Jesus has something important to say to us about what not now. (laughs) It's not now that we are going to know everything. In fact, we will never know everything. Because if we did, we would be omniscient. And only God is omniscient. So I know it's popular to believe, well, someday we'll know when we get to heaven. And I I think that we will know a lot more when we get to heaven and we'll have a lot of time (laughs) to learn more. But we will never know everything. We will never be omniscient. We will always be human. We never become God. There is only one God. And he is infinite. And we are finite. His creations. And so, we will never know everything. I I do believe, like I said, we will know more. So, So right now, there's so many things we don't know. And I know that that can be discouraging sometimes. We want to know, especially that little three-letter word, why. Right? We want to know so often. But I think that part of the reason God says so clearly to his disciples 
and why he's saying so clearly to us that we can't know everything is because he doesn't want us to waste our time trying to figure out things we can't know. As God tells us through Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3.6, he says there's a time to search and a time to quit searching. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. Besides, there is so much that we can know. In fact, God tells us through Peter in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, that God's divine power has granted to us, get this, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We we who trust in Jesus get to partake of the divine nature. So we have everything we need, but that doesn't mean we get to know or have everything we want. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you searching for that it might be time to stop searching for? What desires might you need to let go of so that you can take a better hold of Jesus, who, by the way, is the way, the truth, and the life? So, what now? What now? That was the what not now. (laughs) What now? Let's jump to the end of the passage first. uh, Verses 9 to 11. (laughs) These verses really crack me up. So, I mean, just picture the scene, right? Jesus is being taken up in the cloud, and, and they're all watching him, and he gets hidden by the cloud, and they're just standing there, staring up into now a sky with no Jesus in it, (laughs) and these two angels appear and they kind of walk up like, hey, what you guys looking at? (laughs) I just, I just, it's just funny. And, and I think their, their question, and and when they say he's going to come back the same way you just saw him go, the implication is, so stop staring up into the sky and do what he said. (laughs) Well, what did he say? Look back at verse 4. It says there was one occasion where he's eating with them and he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which is the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that Jesus told them to do was wait. Wait for the Spirit. And this is also a good word for us. Even though we have the Spirit, sometimes we still have to wait. Have you ever been asking God for something and his answer was, wait? So, will you wait? Will you wait patiently, joyfully, without grumbling or complaining? Will you keep praying and seeking and asking and knocking? Will you trust his timing? My favorite definition of contentment uh, I heard in a sermon by my pastor, Pastor Brian Whiff in, in Medford, um, he said that contentment is resting joyfully in God's decisions for your life. 
I want to say that again. Contentment is resting joyfully in God's decisions for your life. Will you do that? Are you doing that? I know that we're all here facing trials and and struggles or knowing people who are. Will you wait on the Lord? And, And before we move on from that first command of Jesus, I just want to say there's two different kinds of waiting. So there's one kind of waiting that is like me before a Packer game. I am getting my food, I am making sure I went to the bathroom, I'm making sure my TV gets the station, I'm getting my drink, I'm getting all comfortable. I'm waiting, but I'm actively waiting so that I can fully enjoy the game, right? So there's active waiting, and then there's passive waiting, which is like me waiting for my wife to be done shopping. Right, do something stupid on my phone. I'm just, I'm just like killing time. I'm just sitting there. I'm not doing anything. And so, God wants us to be actively waiting for Him. There are things that He has called us to do that we don't have to wait for, that we already know that He's called us to do. Love Him and love others. Make disciples. Read His Word. Pray, right? There's so many things that we already know, and, we, and yet we spend so much time on the stuff we don't know. And so there's a way to actively wait. So are you actively or passively waiting for Jesus? So the first answer to what now is that we are to be actively waiting for Jesus. The second answer comes from verse 8. Verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice that the second thing is not something the disciples were to do. It was something that they would be. Witnesses. Now Jesus tells his disciples here that they will be his witnesses because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. If you want to read about that, it's really cool, just in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. But now the Spirit is here. And so Jesus has sent his Spirit, and everyone who is trusting in Jesus as their Savior has the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living inside of them. And the Spirit makes us witnesses. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Not might be, not could be, not once you get some training, or if you try really hard, you will be my witnesses. So the question is not whether or not you will be a witness. The question is, what kind of witness will you be? And, and look where. Everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's like saying Port Washington, or Sockville, or Belgium, or Cedar Grove, or wherever you live and work, and Wisconsin... And Minnesota, yeah, even there. And to the ends of the earth. All those who are trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior are God's witnesses all the time and everywhere they go. So if you are trusting in Jesus, what kind of witness are you for him? Because you are a witness. Now, I know that that question can sometimes provoke in us guilt Sometimes it does in me, like, "Mm, I I wasn't a very good witness 
on the way to church this morning or right and and then that guilt can sometimes lead to doubt like well am i really a witness and then so often when we feel those feelings of guilt or doubt or shame we respond by thinking okay i'm just going to get busy i'm going to jump on the treadmill i'm going to do all these good things for god And we can start thinking that God only cares about what we do for him. But remember what Jesus told his disciples in this passage. Wait and be. Not do. Be. Be my witnesses. Be with me and tell other people what it's like to be with me. Enjoy me and show other people what it's like to enjoy me. Talk to me and then talk to them. Let my love flow into you and then out of you to others. It reminds me of another great passage. John 15, which was the night Jesus was betrayed, where he invites us, he calls us, he tells us of our desperate need to abide in him. Only when we abide in him, he says, can we bear much fruit. He is the vine. We are the branches. Francis Chan, if any of you guys know Francis Chan, he is awesome. If you want some encouragement, he's a great pastor, preacher, teacher. Just look him up on YouTube sometime. Any of his clips are fantastic. He's one of those that he'll get you kind of like laughing and he's, he's entertaining. And then you're like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, like, ooh, that got me right in my heart. Like, wow. And so Francis Chan has a great sermon about this idea where he talks about how we're just sheep following the shepherd and we're just branches. And he makes this great sound effect for being a branch. He's like, we just stay connected to Jesus. <laughs> I love that. Like, that, that is the Christian life, guys. That's the whole thing. Just... Stay connected to the vine. Nothing because because he said, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's it. Stay connected. Wait. Be. And I love how the word abide combines those two things. You, you could almost say the definition of abiding is to wait and be, or remain. Stay, hang out with, revel in, enjoy. That's the Christian life is to stay with Jesus. As we abide in Jesus, we will keep becoming more and more like him. And so we will be more and more effective witnesses for him. But the key is to just be with Jesus. So it's the Sunday after Easter. If you're not trusting in Jesus, why not? And If you are, what now? What now, open door? Acts 1 to 11 tells us to actively wait for the Spirit's leading and to be Jesus' witnesses. In other words, abide in Jesus. How is God calling you to abide in Him this week and always? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, piercing, revealing our hearts and our thoughts. So God, I I pray that you would help us to be obedient 
and sensitive and open and responsive to whatever you are speaking to our hearts today. God, thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to die for our sins, to take the punishment that we deserved and to pay it all in full and to be risen again from the grave. What we celebrated last week and what we celebrate every Sunday by meeting on Sunday, that you are alive, Jesus, that you are victorious and that we can have your righteousness by faith. So help us to abide in you, Jesus. Help us to get off the treadmill and wait and be with you. Thank you so much that you invite us, you welcome us to do that. So we love you and we thank you for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.